Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. with Carmen on this Wednesday, the 12th of February. Hey, if you don't yet have your Valentine's cards, flowers, chocolates, uh, to like today's the day. Don't don't wait till tomorrow. Certainly don't wait till Friday. Um, you know, like get out there and get your stuff. And if you're saying to yourself, you know, I don't I don't have that kind of Valentine person in my life. That's okay. Go buy yourself some flowers and some chocolates. Um, and and go ahead. Just go ahead. You're you are beloved. You're beloved. Um, God loves you. Uh, he created you in His image. Uh, he has done everything necessary for your salvation. He loves you. Um, so if you need a Valentine this Valentine's Day, um, God's got you covered. So go ahead, get some get some chocolates, get some uh, get some beautiful roses, whatever it is. And and here's an idea for you. I know I did my little. Um, hotel Bible idea at the end of the last hour. Um, Here's a Valentine's Day idea for you. If you don't have a Valentine, or if you say to yourself, I would just like to go and bless somebody um, with some Valentine's Day love and and cheer, go buy some flowers, go buy some chocolates, and just drop by an older adult assisted living facility and um, tell people that they're loved. We use... um, John 3:16 a lot to talk about, you know, what the what what the Bible really says in one verse about God's love for us. Um so just consider writing a verse of scripture on a card and allow that to stand as the valentine and and let the let the gift of flowers and the gift of chocolate be from God to people. It doesn't have to be from you. You're embarrassed to get in the way there. All right, so there you go. <clears throat> I have a little situational awareness update for you. The World Health Organization has officially named what we have been calling the coronavirus, um, it, it now has a name, and I'm not exactly sure how we're supposed to pronounce it yet. It is C-O-V-I-D, so I'm going to say COVID, uh, C-O-V-I-D, COVID-19. So that all stands for corona, C-O, virus, V-I, disease, D, and the year it emerged, which was 2019. So COVID-19 is now going to be the official name. So you're going to hear that instead of hearing coronavirus. You're going to hear COVID-19, so people can refer specifically to it. In the latest figures, there's more than 45,000 cases of COVID-19. Um, in, in China, 1,116 people have died as a result. And there are now 174 people on board that quarantine cruise ship off the coast of Japan um, who have been diagnosed and so let's just pray, just pray on all fronts for this issue and this challenge um, before us. All right, we got a ton of things to cover. We're going to lead off this hour with a con- in a conversation with our dear friend, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. He is going to help us understand the president's budget for America's future. It is the proposed budget uh, for 2021 recently released. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
All right, so budgets are something that we that we write. They are aspirational. The president has a budget proposal for fiscal year 2021. Here to talk us through it is Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. Talk with us about um, uh, a budget. First of all, we should all have a budget, um, and ours maybe should be more realistic and less dependent on debt than the one um, produced uh, and offered by the president. <laughs> yeah, think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the president, just like his predecessor, is running a trillion-dollar debts or deficits every year. Let's, let's define, first of all, deficit is the amount that we go into debt in an, on an annual basis. The, the debt... It's, it's how much deeper the hole is getting. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then the debt is the accumulation of all the deficits, okay, that, that we have run at the federal level. So just like Obama, Trump is running roughly a trillion dollar deficits every year, give or take, and we have now $23 trillion dollars or more in debt. You can go out to a place called Debt to the Penny. Just Google Debt to the Penny, and you will get all the information about the debt from the U.S. Treasury you ever wanted to know, but were afraid to ask. So, all right. So, um, it's it's striking to me that this budget calls for more than a trillion dollar uh, and trillion dollars in, in spending deficits, like for fiscal years nineteen, twenty, twenty one, and twenty two. And yet it includes real spending cuts. So can you explain sort of how that works? How could there be these deep cuts in the budget and yet um, still a budget that produces a trillion dollar deficit? Yeah, great question. First of all, the cuts, and that's in the S1, the Sierra One table in Trump's um, um, budget, those cuts are for discretionary spending on only. So you have you have discretionary spending and you have mandatory spending and you have that in every agency and you have that in every part of the government. OK, so you have discretionary spending, mandatory spending, mandatory spending uh, has about six hundred trillion, not six, about six hundred billion dollars of what they call other spending. And then Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid is all mandatory. And that makes up uh, two point four trillion of our $4.8 trillion budget. So between the mandatory spending and all the agencies, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, $3 trillion of that is already mandated by law. It has to happen unless they change the laws. So out of the $4.8 trillion in our in our national budget, $3 trillion of it is mandated. The rest of it is discretionary. That's where he's trying to cut spending. He has gone through every agency, and, and you, you can see, of course, listeners can't see this, but, uh, Carmen, you can see the table that I sent you there of all of the percentage of cuts by uh, department that uh, Trump is proposing, except for uh, departments of uh, NASA, Veterans Affairs, Treasury, Transportation, Homeland Security, and Defense. Those get minor uh, increases. Okay. So I'm talking with Bill English from com. We're talking about the proposed federal budget. Um, it's enormous. The scope of it is sometimes very, very difficult for us to get our um, our heads around. Um, when, when we when we look at something like, I don't know, I'm going to pick one of these. When we look right. at something, this, this one looks like the biggest, uh, the biggest discretionary um, cut. So 48% cut in the discretionary budget for commerce. Yes. Now, it wouldn't the Commerce Department be the one that would be related to, I don't know, economics? 
Uh, yeah, they, they do a lot of statistical analysis. Uh, them and the Department of Labor do uh, pump out a lot of the numbers that we take for granted. But the Department of Commerce uh, in at the beginning was designed to be a department that spurred innovation and competition in, in America. And I think what Trump is probably, and I haven't read through, through you know, word for word through this massive budget, but I suspect what Trump is, is finding is that commerce has been co-opted for other political means. And he's just pulling out that, some of that discretionary spending and saying, no, let's get commerce back to their original core uh, purpose in life. And so he's, and you know, it's a 48% decrease, yes, uh, but their budget for two, his proposed budget for 2021 is only 7.9 billion. That's a really small amount of money in a 4.8 trillion dollar budget. All right, um Bill, before we take a break, maybe let's just have a conversation about um being borrowers and how as mm-hmm. borrowers because this is a this is a budget year over year over year that's dependent on us being debtors, debtors yes. to other countries. Yes. Um, talk with us about what Scripture says about the borrower and, and how we actually then, then become the servant or the slave to the lender. Sure. Proverbs 22, 7, the borrower is servant to the lender. That's the last part of the verse. The first part of the verse is uh, the rich rule over the poor. <laughs> okay. Uh, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The more we borrow, the more we are becoming servants to foreign governments, to foreign investors, to uh, domestic uh, investors, to domestic funds, uh, like mutual funds and those kinds of things. It's not good for our government to be a servant to others, especially China and Japan, um, uh, through debt. It's, it's just not a good thing for us to be that way. And so I think the, the, the thrust of the Proverbs passage is don't be in debt or don't be a slave to anyone except God and that's why getting out of debt is so important. Um, I mean, you know this, Carmen. You can't go on the mission field if you're in debt, right? Because now you, right. Have, you have two masters. But once you're out of debt, you can go on the mission field because you can wholly serve God and you don't have to worry about being in debt. I, I would like to see us as a Christian evangelical community adopt the same ethos in our voting when it comes to debt. Um. We could talk about our like individual credit scores and um, oh my. At, like rate. So there's a, <laughs> right. so well, this has been a subject of conversation in our own household. Oh, it so, has. Okay. Um, so there's there might be a slight competition between two uh, oh, the, oh. the senior adults in the family. Now I so, can never imagine um, Carmen being competitive. Can you? Paul? Oh, never. Not no. Carmen. No, no. Well, no. both of our credit because scores. She's so are over shy eight, and unassuming. Well, this is ridiculous. You know? But we both have credit scores that are just over eight hundred. And, okay, um, I don't like which you is, now. Which is pretty good, right? <laughs> very yeah, good. Very good. I really yeah. don't like you so, now. Also, but that made us ask the question, like, what percentage of Americans, you know, is that true of? And there's 20% of the American population that has a credit score better than 800, which means there are a fair, there's a fair percentage of the population that is, you know, actively, like, really, 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 really actively committed to being as as close to debt-free as possible, um, although, you know, mortgages and such. So um, when we continue this conversation, I, I really do want us to think about debt and the total debt that is currently in front of us as a country. And it's not to, like, freak people out, uh, but it, it is it is to motivate people to do something today, not only in their personal life, but as proactive participants um, uh, in in the the project that we call the United States of America. So um, Bill English and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're going to talk about the total debt 
which is right now about 70 grand per person in the United States, and what we might do about it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, I like that walk-up music. This is Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We are talking about... The president's proposed budget for America's future. That's the name of it. Budget for America's future. Um, it is it, it is big. Um, and, and beautiful. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's huge. Yeah. He can't do a Trump to save his so, hide. That's okay. I can try so, to do a Trump. No, never mind. <laughs> so um, we're just going to do a little comparison here. Ten years ago, the federal budget was $3.6 trillion, yep. which is... 25% less than it is now. So it's grown by 25% in 10 years. Yep. The federal debt was $14.1 trillion, about yep. 40% less than it is today. Yeah. And the federal deficit um, was just $1.3 trillion, um, yeah. which is like shocking to say that it was just that. Um, uh, so when we look at what we owe today, the, te- the total debt is just below seventy grand a person. Talk with us about what what it means to bear the weight of that kind of debt, particularly when you're um, uh, when you're the those to whom you owe the debt are also you know political enemies. Uh, <laughs> you know, everybody's in the same boat on this one. So you owe the debt to your your political enemies. Now, look, happily, the amount of debt that China owns of of the United States public debt is only about one trillion dollars out of the 23 trillion. Uh, the, the, the people who are really going to take it on the chin here is not our current generation. It's not you and I, Carmen, and it's not Paul and, and his lovely new bride. What, the people who are going to take this on the chin are our grandchildren. We're really stealing their wealth to pay for our party. And there's just no way around this. The future generations are going to rise up and look at um, especially the boomers and, uh, to a lesser extent, the Gen Xers, and they're just going to say, um, you guys were the most self-absorbed, affluent society that this world has ever seen, and you've taken our wealth. And uh, there's, there's not going to be any answer for that except, yeah, we did. Uh, because, you know, we're, when, when Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid comprise almost 70% of our, or those three comprise 50% of our national budget. Um, uh, there's, there's just no way around the fact that, that we are taking from our kids and grandkids and great grandkids to pay for those three programs today. And there's just no way around that. Okay. So sorry, let's sorry talk for, about. Sorry for gosh, all the happy. Gosh, you're like, we're going to just call this like the downer <laughs> Debbie segment. Okay. So, no. So Bill English is going to give it's us. true. Uh, Bummer Bill, I think. It should, you know, just Bummer Bill. Bill Bummer. Bummer Bill from Bible and Business. There you go. You there got your go. Alliterate things nicely. There you go. So what can we do, Bill? Well, you know what? First of all, I think we have to look and see if this debt is rises to the moral level of an abortion or religious freedom or social programs. Right? Mm. Okay. You know, I, I is know... Is debt a moral question? Is Maybe it a moral issue? One... Interesting. Dave Ramsey would say so. Well, I know what Dave would say, but what is the no, average? But I mean, right? What does the average evangelical voter say? That's what I'm interested in. Okay, we know Ron Blue would say that too, right? So, um, you know, I know a lot of Christians, and you do too, Carmen, and you do too, Paul, that will never vote for a candidate if they're pro-choice. Period. That's the single issue for them. And when does debt become the single issue for Christians? Hmm. 
And I, I don't have an answer for that. I can tell you that in in the coming race uh, of of the two parties, and we're down to what? Basically five people. One of five people is going to be our next president. And you look at all five of them and you say none of them are talking about the debt. So neither of them are going to care about the spending. You go to a third party, they're probably not going to care all that much. When does When does that become a moral issue? Secondly... I would suggest um, that we really begin to prepare at some point um, to uh, to get involved in nonpartisan groups that uh, deal with the debt, like the Concord Coalition and others. These are nonpartisan groups that stand outside of government, but yet call government to at least balance its budget and to not keep going into debt. And that's that's a good place for us to play because you don't have to be a Democrat or a Republican. You can be whoever you want to be, a yellow spotted kangaroo, and they'll take you at, at places like that, and you can have real meaningful impact. Um, I feel like if we had a yellow spotted kangaroo, we could capitalize on that. You know, we could sell that, couldn't we? Yeah. We could we something. could make that your emoji or something. So. All right. Um, the the your last point here, at least on my list of uh, of encouragements, is not to accept learned helplessness. What what do you mean by that? Well, you you made the comment earlier that this thing is so big, mm-hmm. right? And it's so big. How do we? You know, there's nothing I little old puny me can do. And I, that, those weren't your words. I'm just parroting a, a generic person. Look, one person can make a big difference if they get involved and if they stay persistent and consistent. And so uh, don't fall into this learned helplessness that you can't do anything. Get out there, talk about this issue, and get out of debt and get involved in this thing. Um, our, you, we can make a difference in getting the, the government to stop spending more than what it's taking in, because here's the reality. No institution, including the government, can spend more than what it has for the long term and remain solvent. It's just an economic law, and we're on our way to breaking it big time. So, Bill, um, all I have to spend every day are uh, are two hours and the, the amount of time that I have uh, allotted to having a conversation with you is like 10 seconds from being up. Yep. So we can't go into debt in terms of the time that we have to spend together. So I must say adieu. Adieu. Hey, thanks so much. You guys visit Bill at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. Okay, so um, there are times that as women who are followers of Christ, um, some of what is sort of served to us is fluffy and not substantive. Sometimes what we are, what is served up in women's ministry or in books related to women and our walk of faith, it's fluffy. Um, We are absolutely encouraged to see ourselves as daughters of the King. But um, my next guest makes the point that we need Jesus more than we need compliments and that the beauty of being God's daughter uh, has a very deep and rich backstory and um, a really deep future. So uh, join me for a conversation with Felicia Masonheimer. The book is Stop Calling Me Beautiful, Finding Soul Deep Strength in a Skin Deep World. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. couple of things. Um, for those of you who know Nick Hall, uh, he is asking each and every one of us to pray today for his sister, Jenny. 
Um, she has uh, been in hospice care. She just turned 43 days ago. Um, she's been in hospice care for um, for some time now. They're either praying for an absolute radical miracle of healing or for God to give the mercy to take her home. And so let's be praying for the Hall family today. Let's be praying with and for Nick. Um, for those of you who remember Nick from Together uh, or from Love 2020 or from yearofthebible.com, um, you know, God is is clearly using Nick for his own good purposes in the world, um, but he's still a baby brother whose sister is actively dying. And so let's be praying for Nick uh, and his family, particularly for Jenny, and for God's um, perfect and pleasing will to be done and for mercy to come. Wonder what you are planning to do this summer. Uh, I'm going to spend a few days this summer up in the Twin Cities. I'm going to be at the Northwest Christian Writers Conference. Would love for you to consider joining me there. It is July 24th and 25th. You can get all the information at NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. Has someone called you a lost cause, a failure? Has someone dismissed you as insignificant? Don't you listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. You were conceived by God before you were conceived by your parents. You were loved in heaven before you were known on earth. You aren't an accident. When you say yes to God, you are being made into God's image. Print that on your resume. In the eyes of God, you are worth dying for. Would you let this truth define the way you see yourself? Would you let this truth define the way you see other people? Every person you see was created by God to bear His image and deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. This is God's plan. This is God's promise, and He will fulfill it. And because God's promises are unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. This is Max Locato. Joining me now is Felicia Masonheimer. Um, she is, among other things, the author of Stop Calling Me Beautiful, Finding Soul-Deep Strength in a Skin-Deep World. Felicia, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me on. All right, so I'm going to jump right in because it sounds counterintuitive to suggest that we would want people to stop calling us beautiful, particularly when we're talking about, uh, you know, being image bearers of the living God. So um, so let's let's just... Give a little, I'm going to say a spoiler alert. Here's what the book is basically about. Felicia, what does it mean when we're going to invite people to stop calling us beautiful? Because that's really only half the truth. Well, when we, when I write a title like this, I realize that it kind of comes off a little like um, clickbait, if you will. <laughs> it's kind of a little bit alarming to hear stop calling me beautiful since that is something that we do crave to hear, especially as for women. But what I'm referencing is the message that many Christian women are receiving in today's church and culture that you are a beautiful daughter of the king, you are worthy, beautiful messages, things we want to hear, but they don't tell us how we became beautiful, where our worth comes from, or what to do with it. And so we're actually getting this hollow message that is 
when the church preaches it is basically just a half truth and a half gospel and is mimicking the messages about beauty and identity in the world, but still not offering a complete salvation, if you will, a complete way to walk out a strong identity. So, I mean, we could, um, we could talk about the incomplete gospel, or we could simply talk about the complete gospel. So um, you outline in the opening chapter, you know, sort of how things went wrong and, uh, and the nature of the incomplete gospel that many people believe. Um, and it's superficial and self-focused and it's theologically deficient. Um, I, like, uh, I like then the transition to the message that we need. Talk with us about the message we need. Talk with us about the whole gospel. So I think when we hear the word gospel, I don't know about you, but when, when I was growing up in the church, gospel meant altar call. And I figured if I was already saved, it was something I never needed to hear again. I know what Jesus did. I don't need that. But in reality, the gospel, what Jesus did and how it changes us is the core of Christianity and the core of a daily Christian life. And so when we only tell part of the story, when we only say you're beautiful in God's eyes, but we don't say, well, actually before that we were sinners. We were apart from God. We were separate from God. We weren't worthy. And Jesus loved us anyway and died to make us beautiful and worthy. When we leave all that out, we actually cheapen the true gospel. So the, the full gospel, the complete gospel is the whole story, who we were, what Jesus did and how he loved us and what he has made us, who we are now and what we do with that. All right. I am talking with uh, Felicia Masonheimer. Um, so let me just, this is a off script question. Your first name is um, fascinating to me. Can you, can you <laughs> tell people, maybe you're named after someone or maybe this is a, a, a name that your parents created in terms of its spelling um, because if people are going to try to look you up and they hear me say Felicia, they're not going to spell your name accurately. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's very unique. Um, my name is spelled P-H-Y-L-I-C-I-A. So Felicia with a P-H. My dad is Phil. So I'm actually kind of Phil Jr. And then I love my parents. That. Yeah. Yeah. I was the oldest. And so I'm, I'm kind of Phil Jr. And my parents growing up or raising me in the nineties, they got the spelling from Felicia Rashad of the Cosby show. Well, see, there you go. I'm so glad I asked. Now you guys can find her at FeliciaMasonheimer.com. Um, we're talking today about her book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful. Um, the book really does uh, outline uh, answers to really hard questions that women often ask. Um, it has some um, beautiful conversations about women. Um, tell, tell people about the tale of two women in chapter three. So in chapter three, we're looking at two women in scripture. One is the Samaritan woman in John four. A lot of us are familiar with that interaction between Jesus and this woman who was discriminated against for her ethnicity, who had this relationship history of five husbands and living with a current um, man who wasn't her husband. And Jesus interacts with her at a well which would have been completely countercultural for him as a Jewish teacher to do so. But when I was studying this passage originally, before the book ever existed, 
I did a little digging and found out that the well where Jesus met the Samaritan woman had appeared much, much earlier in scripture. It appears in Genesis 34 with the daughter of Leah and Jacob. Her name is Dinah. And Dinah was a young woman who was sexually abused by a man and whose brothers killed an entire city to bring her justice. And really her story ends very quietly and very sadly because Dinah gets justice in a way, but she still lives with this shame. Basically, according to the narrative, we don't hear what happens to her. But at that same well, thousands of years later, Jesus meets another woman with this painful sexual history, with all of this discrimination against her. And at that well, he completely redeems and restores her story. And so it's an amazing parallel of what happens when Jesus enters a scene and completely changes everything that we've ever done. I just, um, I will admit to you, I've been a student of the Bible for a long time. Um, and the connection that you made there is profound and meaningful and important. And it, I think it illustrates um, what the entire book is about. And so when we come back from the break, I, wanna, I want to have you invite women into a deeper study of Scripture um, and what that might look like. I am talking with Felicia Masonheimer. You can find her um, at FeliciaMasonheimer.com. The book is Stop Calling Me Beautiful and... I have five copies to give away. So if you want to text the word book to 877-933-2484, just the word book, not all of the reasons you think you should get one, just the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, we'll put you in a drawing for one of the five copies that we have. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation now with author Felicia Masonheimer. You can find her at FeliciaMasonheimer.com. The book we're discussing today, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, Finding Soul-Deep Strength in a Skin-Deep World. Um, I would say that it is taking women from the fluff down to the very foundation in order that we might be built up and strengthened in our real walk of faith in the real world amidst very real challenges. Um, Felicia, talk about the importance of studying Scripture and some of your own practices related to it. Sure. So one of the things that I think our Christian cultural environment has created is a dependence on secondhand material. And what I mean by that is having Bible teachers write devotionals and books to explain what the Bible says so that women can read that and understand scripture. And in many ways, that's, that's really good. I realize I wrote a Christian lifestyle book and I hope people read it, but my hope would be that through reading it, they have the confidence to approach the Bible on their own. And unfortunately we do have an issue with a lack of biblical literacy in the church today. People are intimidated by reading the Bible for themselves. So they continually go to this secondhand material rather than reading the Bible for themselves. And so to get started with becoming more confident in approaching the Bible, the first thing to know is that it will be difficult. It's called Bible study for a, a reason. If you're in college, you're studying 
in college. So you know that that's going to take some effort and some intention. And Bible study is the same thing. You're devoting yourself to understand something that was written over a thousand years and was written in another language. And so that will be difficult, but there are so many great resources to help. So if someone's just starting out, what I usually suggest is picking one book, like the book of John and reading short passages daily or as often as you can and taking a few notes, write down your questions for further research and ask yourself two questions. Who is God or what do I learn about God in this passage? This is very important because we've been taught to come to scripture with a consumer mentality. What does this tell me about me? What do I learn about me in my life? But instead approach it asking who is God? And then the second question is, how does this change how I live? And with these two questions, I think we can really come away with a deeper understanding of the Bible itself. So, um, Felicia, one of the things that I discovered yesterday um, is this website and this app that's just called Bible.is, and it's a way for people to listen to passages of Scripture as well. Um, And so um, our our partners over at Faith Comes by Hearing are behind this. And I um, just—I have found it helpful in terms of uh, even my own reading— to be listening to it while I'm reading. So my eyes are on the page. I'm reading the words, but I am also listening to somebody else reading it in their own voice. Because like you, I read through the Bible um, or seek to every single year. Um, And sometimes I sort of like need to hear it in someone else's voice so that I I even hear the intonation of particular words or the way stories are read in a slightly different voice than my own. So just want to commend that to people as well. Um, Felicia, when we talk about uh, the study of Scripture and we talk about its importance um, to shape and to form us, not just to inform us about who God is. Um, that's really essential. I then love the whole second part of of this book because I feel like where you go, um, and again, friends, uh, I'm talking with um, Felicia Masonheimer. We're talking about her book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful. I do have five copies to give away. If you want to enter to win one of those, you can uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, I love where you go because you're, you're, you deal substantively with, I think, the primary issues that most women um, deal with today. And um, I want to jump ahead to like chapter six. You've got a chapter on the courage to trust, battling anxiety and overwhelm. Um, uh, after that, we deal with grief. That might be my favorite chapter in the book, and I'm going to come back to that uh, in just a second. Um, redeeming a broken sexuality, um, cultivating a lasting community, conquering our fear of men. I mean, uh, dealing with shame. I mean, I just there's a lot in here. Um, talk about talk about grief because the way that you frame it in terms of your own relationships with women walking through periods of grief that we don't often highlight in the culture, um, I thought was particularly intimate and important. Well, I think grief is one of those vulnerable seasons that we all will meet in some way, shape, or form. It's not always the death of a parent or a close friend or grieving a miscarriage. For me, it's grieving a lack of healing of an autoimmune disease that I've had for four years. Um, So it can look different in different seasons and for different people. And one of the things I've heard over the years in the church, and this relates to also to the anxiety topic, is if you just pray more, 
you know, God will remove these feelings, but that's not what we see in scripture in these models of how to carry grief, that God is not asking us to deny what we're feeling, but he promises to carry us through it and to see us and to walk with us and bear that burden. And so it's not pretending everything's okay, but actually bringing all of our grief to him and pouring it out. Hannah is one example of this in scripture where she pours out all of her grief over her infertility to the Lord to the point that people were thinking she looked like she was drunk because she was praying so passionately, but she knew that God was the safe place for that grief. And the depth of her relationship with God is what led her to, to confront grief with faith. I think that um taking a deep breath because <clears throat> many people listening right now, um, there's something that is chronically wrong. Like, right, they're they're dealing with physical pain every single day. They're dealing with um real stress. They do feel like they're right on the verge of the breaking point all the time. And it's insufficient for um us to just tell women to be happy because, you know, because of Jesus. There is deep joy. There is an abiding peace. Um, but we have to be deeply rooted in the Word of God, and we have to grow up in every way in the same way men do um, into Christ who is the head. Um, we cannot expect to um, be able to to stand uh, in the culture today or even to just in the midst of all of the challenges that we just face as people um, if we are not strengthened in our inner being. And so I just want to thank you for being um, a witness to that and a voice crying out for that. Um, and, and just want to say thank you for being with us today. The book is Stop Calling Me Beautiful. The author is Felicia Masonheimer. Um, Felicia, thank you so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Uh, remember, friends, I've got some copies to give away. If you'd like to enter to win one of those, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Okay, so I'm hoping that um, what you heard today in the last couple of hours is helping you make some connections both to Scripture and to the concerns of others. It is uh, hopefully, I don't know, encouraging you in your own not only life of faith, but life of prayer. Who are you praying for today? Who needs your prayers today? Who do you know is, uh, is suffering and anxious? And maybe it's you. In which case, let me encourage you to um, share that concern with another Christian in order that you might be not only prayed for, but prayed with in the matters of life. There is always a lot going on in the world. There's also always a lot going on right at home and in the home of our hearts. And so uh, I want to encourage you today to simply know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that God is with you and God is for you, that God has a future filled with hope that is that is set before you, um, and that uh, he is, you know, Frank, I mean, God's not anxious. But in like all of the all of the most positive ways, he is joyfully anticipating not only the life you have yet to live, but the life eternal you will live with him forever in Christ Jesus. So if there's business that you need to do with God uh, in terms of making your own personal commitment to him in Christ by faith, let's get that done. Have a great day and God bless. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.